Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This morning, looking at verse 16, the real content of verse 16 is a prayer by Paul for inner strength that you would be strengthened in your inner being. And I would assume that you would agree uh, it is important the inner person matters. To have inner strength, to have strength of the inner person matters. This is very popular in our society as we are functionally a very wealthy society. We think very little, if at all, about needs. We think about wants a lot. We often call wants needs. We very seldomly think about actual physical needs like Food, clothing, shelter. Those aren't really on our mind. We think about clothes a lot, but not because we need them, because we want them. We might think about homes a lot, not necessarily because we need one. We have one, but we want more or different. We think about food a lot, not because we are short on it, because we have an abundance of it. We tend to think about wants, not needs. And so in a society like that, it becomes very clear very quickly that the outer body the, the superficial things of life, like those needs, food, clothing, shelter, are not ultimately satisfying. And people quickly feel that despite an abundance of that, there's something wrong with them. And so they seek something inner. They need inner strength. And if our society wants or needs anything, what do you do? You Google it. Right? So if you Google inner strength, Inner person, how do I get inner strength? You might find answers like this. Wear clothes that make you feel comfortable. Keep your back straight while talking and walking. Speak up. Work out, walk, engage yourself in any kind of sport. Become an expert in something you like. Never procrastinate. Don't be shy to compliment people. Focus on what you're doing. Make plans and follow them. Express your opinions instead of following others. Act confidently, even if you're faking it. In time, acting confidently will become your habit. Ask yourself why, then find your answer. Interesting. Put yourself first. Very common. Train your mental and emotional body as well as your physical self. Decide, commit, and act. Don't let fear factor into your decision making. Embrace what scares you. Declutter your mind. Become your own best friend. Write that one down. I'm trying to read them fast so you can't write them down because I don't think you should write any of these down. Become your own best friend. Practice calm, self-control in adversity. This is 
a list off of two quick Google searches to say, if you need inner strength, what do you seek? And some of these would actually be good functional social advice, right? Like if you're socially broken, what do you need? Maybe you need some of these things. If you struggle with people, you struggle with other things. This isn't horrible advice, but if this is the advice you're going after to find inner strength, it is insufficient. And the reason in which you're seeking it, probably if you're Googling it, is insufficient. Inner strength is a necessary need of man. To have a, a soul or a spirit, the non-physical part of man, to be strong is a necessity. It's a need. How do we know it's a need? We know it's a need because Paul prays that it would be true for Christians. He sees it as a need for Christians. The Bible proclaims it. The Proverbs proclaim it. It says, keep your heart. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. As the Bible talks about the heart, the mind, the soul, the spirit, it is talking about the same thing, the inner man. Man is made up of a body and a spirit. You are a physical person, but you know that you are far more than just physical. You are eternal, not since all time. You were created, but you will exist forever from this point because you have a soul. You are not just a body. You're not just what some people would teach of just matter and atoms. There is more to you. The Bible would proclaim that more is that you were created in the image of God. Why is mankind different from every other created thing that exists on earth? Why does mankind function differently? The Bible's answer would be because you were created in the image of God. And as Paul prays for the church, he prays for this need that you would be strengthened, but he does not pray it in a vague way. If you Google search, it's ambiguous. Why do you want inner strength? What is the purpose of it? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you going after? It's vague. Where do these answers come from? They come to help you get what you want for your own means and own reasons and own desires. None of these talk about what you're actually trying to get. What they're saying is you're trying to get inner strength. Why? So that you can get whatever it is you want. All these are encouraging you to become a better or a different person. Why? You want to fake it till you make it because what do you want to make it to? Well, I think you could put it in three categories. That's what the Bible does. You want the possessions of life? Maybe. You want the pleasure of life? You want more comfort, more pleasure, more passion? Or you want the power of life? You want more authority, more influence, more friends? The Bible says the fleeting desires of man are for pleasure, power, and possession. And most people, when they're saying, I need inner strength, is because they're dissatisfied with their current power, their current pleasure, or their current possessions. The Bible, on the other hand, says you need inner strength. You need strength of the soul for a far greater reason. Because if you were seeking inner strength, the strength of the soul, to get power, pleasure, or possessions, you must know that power, pleasure, and possessions all end. If you're seeking to be a stronger inner person so you can have power, pleasure, and possession on this earth, you will die. And with that will die your power, your possessions, and your pleasure on earth. This week I helped a neighbor 
Well, it helps the children of a neighbor who recently passed away clear out their garage and his barn and all kinds of things. And I was reminded of Ecclesiastes, that you can gather all the possessions of the world. You can gain all the wisdom of the world. You can gain everything, but it is vanity. Your possessions will pass to the hands of another. And the things you treasured will be tossed by people into a dumpster because they don't know what else to do with it. If you are seeking inner strength for power, possession, or pleasure, your goal is wrong. Yes, you need inner strength, but why? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. As Paul prays for the Ephesians, he prays with that as their need. That is the request. He says, as we looked at last week, for what reason, for the sake of the gospel and their present need, he bows his knees to the Father. He goes to the only place to go to because he is the creator, the head over all things. And in verse 16, he says what he prays, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice in that sentence, the request is what? Strength of the inner being. Everything else is discussing how or why or what is going to bring that about. The request is that Paul says that Christians need strength, particularly the Ephesians, and we would say all Christians, need strength of the inner being. How do they need it? Well, number one, they need it according to the riches of God, according to his glory. The resource for inner strength is the riches of God's glory. And if you remember from Ephesians, Paul already said his mission on earth is to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. When it says according to the riches of God, Paul's prayer is that you would have inner strength not according to the clothes you wear, not according to your resources, not according to what you can accomplish, not according to your ability to fake it till you make it, but your strength would come according to what? The riches of God. It does not say from the riches of God. It says according to. John MacArthur points this out, and I think it's incredibly helpful. That word according means in equal measure to. If it was from the riches of God, say I have $1,000 and I'm going to give you from my riches, I might give you a dollar. I might give you $900. But if I'm going to give you according to my riches, that means I'm going to give you amount that is sufficient to my riches. So if his riches are unmeasurable... Paul says, I'm praying that God would grant this to you according to his riches, meaning that he has endless resources. And so he would give as much as is needed for any time at all times because there is no limit to his resources. So Paul prays that you would be given not according to your own needs, your own desires, your own strength, your own ability, but according to the riches of Christ, to the riches of God, that you would be given what? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you the source of inner strength. It is according to his riches, but what he's asking for is that you would be given it. This is not something you can get on your own. This type of strength is not a strength that you can muster up. You cannot fake it till you make it. Paul's not praying that according to his riches, you would try really hard. He says, according to the riches of God, that God would grant you to give this to you. These are words of grace. 
These are words of kindness that he would give it to you. The source is not within you, it's within him. And what is he praying that you would have? The power through the Spirit. The means of inner strength. The resources, Christ. The source, his gift. And the means, the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Notice all of these words are surrounding to give clarity to what Paul is praying. He's not just praying that you would be strong. Right? Paul's not Kelly Clarkson it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I pray you can just endure. No. He's praying specifically. I'm praying that according to the riches of God, which are immeasurable, according to His grace, by His grace, this would be given to you. It's not something you can get on your own. And that through the power of the Spirit, not your own strength, not your own ability, but by the grace of God, through His Spirit, that you would have what? The request is inner strength. That you would have inner strength. Let me read the whole thing again. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. And then he goes on to give the purpose. The purpose. The purpose of all of this is very specific also. Why do you need inner strength? So that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Because you are grounded and rooted in love. This is already done. You might be able to comprehend, to make your own, to know what all the saints know. And seek to comprehend, seek to make their own, the breadth, the depth, the length, the height of Christ. That you might know a love that is beyond understanding. That's the purpose. But all of that is next week. I just didn't want to leave it out. That's the purpose. But the request is that your soul might be strengthened. Why is that so important? Because the soul is a priority. The soul is a priority. Biblically, the soul is the priority. It is of the first importance in your life. As you think about power and possessions and pleasures, they are fleeting. Your soul is eternal. It is of first priority. Jesus says this in a negative way. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Your soul is a greater than your body. The fear of your soul should exceed the fear for your body. You should be more afraid of what's going on inside of you, what's going on eternally, what's going on spiritually, than what's going on outside. If someone is preparing, this is what Jesus is saying, if someone's preparing to murder you, don't be overwhelmed. Because all they can do is kill your body. There's something far more important than just your physical body. Your soul. Don't fear man who can cause temporary distress. Fear God who punishes forever sin against Him. Your soul is of greater value than your body. Jesus describes this again in a parable in Luke 12, 18 through 21. This is a parable speaking of a man who had wealth and abundance. 
right? He's a farmer. He has storehouses. He has wealth. And now this year, he's got a ton of wealth that he doesn't normally have. So he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What does he say? He says, my inward problem is that I don't have enough space to store all my possessions, all my wealth. He says, because of this wealth, because of my raise, I'm going to tear down my old barns and I'm going to build new ones. And I'm going to fill them up. And then what's going to happen? My soul will never need anything again. You might think this man's so foolish. But how often does your heart tell you, if I just had a little bit more, then I'd be content. Then my inner man would be fine. If I had what they had, oh, think about our tax return. We'll be happy then. Think about that coming vacation. Think about the pay raise. This will make us happy. Take a loan to get it now. We'll pay for it later. Finally, I will be content. That's, that's his argument. He's saying, my soul is in disarray because I have so much wealth, I don't know what to do. I know what I'll do. I'll store it all up and then I'll be happy forever. And what does he say? You don't understand the soul. You think you're going to satisfy your soul by the temporary building of wealth. Jesus says this. He says that this is the wealthy of this world who are choked out by the cares and worries of the world. Their soul is starved because they're so worried about their temporal surroundings. The Bible says the concern for provision of your eternal soul exceeds your need for provision of your temporary life. The concern of provision for your eternal soul exceeds the need for provision of your temporary life. Because Jesus tells him, tonight your soul will be required of you. And what will all those possessions be? And you could say, I'm not going to die tonight. I'm 26 years old. I'm in good health. I go to the gym. I don't eat meat or I eat a ton of meat, whichever one you think keeps you healthy. You could be convinced that you have done all the right things. But let me guarantee you something. If you are convinced that your temporary life will preserve your life, the statistics are staggering. You know how many people die? 100%. The only statistic you should ever trust. All people die. So if you want advice, who should you listen to? Everybody who dies? I would say you should listen to the one man who rose again. The one man who holds the soul in his hands. Because he is not just man, he is God. And he says, what you truly know in creation... It is futile and failing and dying. If your pursuit of inner strength is to get stronger here on earth, to have more, to get more, to satisfy yourself here, you will only be dissatisfied. And you will die like everyone else. 
Jesus gives rest for souls. He says, come to me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? There are those on earth who labor and are heavy laden. They're not, this is, this is side, this is just Jake trying to help you where we're at. But we're not generally those who labor, we're those who are heavy laden. Right? <laughs> we labor... But the majority of us, not all of us, I'm thinking of some of you right now, you physically labor in such a way you are exhausted when you get home. But most of us, you, you mentally labor in such a way that you're exhausted. You're heavy laden. Even those of you that do labor in a physical way to exhaustion, you are heavy laden in that you have many responsibilities upon you. And Jesus says, I have rest for those who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You will find rest, not temporarily. You will find rest eternally. Rest for your soul. That's what he says. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is his promise. Christ can give rest for the soul. Only he has the true promises for eternity. Not temporary appeasement. Not not temporary contentment. Eternal rest for an eternal soul. No more burden of sin. Paul encourages Timothy in these very things of the soul. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, speaking of everything he has said previously in 1 Timothy 1 through 4, go back and read it. I want to take you there now, but we're not Puritans. You don't got all day, right? You got really important things to do after this. And I'm not just saying that sarcastically, but I am saying that sarcastically. But we do. So we're not going to be here all day. But I encourage you this week, if you're curious, what are all these things before the brothers? Read. But he says, if you put them before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So he says, put the truth that I've proclaimed to you before people, and you'll be a good servant of Christ. Because in doing so, that means you're trained in the words of faith. You're trained in God's word. And what is God's word? It is good doctrine that you have followed. It's good teaching. It's the true teaching. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, things that blaspheme God, things that ignore God, things that do not recognize God, or silly myths, stories that try to confuse you or conclude you to something, but it's just a silly story. Have nothing to do with those. Rather, what should you do? You should train yourself for godliness. Why? Because bodily training is of some value, right? It's of some value. But godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So he's saying, because godliness is of value in every way, it holds promise not just for the present life, but for the future life, for eternal life. He says, you should remember this saying. This saying is worth remembering. For to this end, we toil and strive, 
Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. For to this end, because of eternal life, what do we do? We toil and strive. We labor on earth. To what end? To godliness. Right? He does not deny that physical training is of some value. I go to the gym four days a week. You wouldn't be able to tell it because I go to the gym so that I can eat whatever I want. I go to the gym to maintain this, which might not be impressive to you, uh, but if you knew me in high school, it would be. So I just don't want to die early because I, I eat things. Actually, it's not because what I eat. It's because I'm confused about what I'm allowed to eat. Because half of you tell me I should eat this, the other half are telling me I should eat that. I'm like, there's no winning here, people. I'm just going to exercise and eat what I want. I think that makes more sense. But this isn't about what Jake thinks. No matter what you think, the physical training of your body has temporary value, right? Men, no matter how strong you are, there will come a time where a younger man is stronger than you. There will come a time where you are weak and feeble and you might work hard and it might take you all day and you might be diligent enough to do it. But a younger man could finish that work quicker. My neighbor who just passed 93 years old, he would work in his yard three hours every day at a snail's pace and his yard was immaculate. My yard looks like a 37-year-old man who does yard work only when he has to lives there. But I could have finished what he finished in three hours, probably in a half hour every day. But he was diligent and faithful, but the failing of his body made it take a long time. The Proverbs say that beauty is fleeting and charm is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Why? Her focus is on eternal things. This is my favorite way to describe that passage. If your hope is to turn the heads of men... You will be failed. Because one day, the only reason anyone's head will turn for you is because you cry out, help, I broke my hip. Because your beauty will fade. Your charm is deceitful. Heads will stop turning for you at some point. He says, bodily training is of some value. But godliness is of value in every way. To spend your life for the sake of your soul. Now I want you to stop and think about this. This, I believe, is why Paul prays, let them have strength of the soul so that they can be focused on the things of Christ. So they have the endurance when persecution comes, when trial comes. They have hope in eternal things. He is focused on the soul because, as the Proverbs say, your heart is the spring of your life. Where your affections, your emotions, your thoughts, your desires are communicate the direction of your life. And if those things are not rooted in Christ, there is no hope for your life. So Paul prays for what matters. Their soul. The strength and endurance of their non-physical person. Because their non-physical person will be eternal. So I want to help us apply this passage as we listen to what Paul prays to think about our own prayers. How do you pray for one another? You pray primarily for the fleeting or for the eternal. 
We should pray for, pray for the fleeting, right? It says, God gives comfort to us in time of need, right? If somebody just lost a family member, if somebody just is not feeling well, if there are trivial things in their life compared to eternity, it does not mean God does not care about those trivial things. It's okay to pray for it, right? Like when someone asks me to pray for their dog, my heart always goes, okay, I will. But why not? Who's in control of that dog? God. But I want to be honest. When you ask me to pray for your dog, I will quickly pray for your dog, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I'm not going to dwell on over, God, just heal the arthritic joint in the left hip of that great Pyrenees. On the power of Christ, I claim healing on the hip of the dog. No, I'm not. I'm not going to spend time there. Because he knows. He's in control. If I'm going to labor anywhere, let's labor where the Bible labors. If we're going to dwell in prayer anywhere, if we're going to be the fervent prayer of the righteous that accomplishes much, let's pray for the will of God to be accomplished. Let's dwell there. As Paul does. How do you pray? Pray for the present need, but don't neglect the greater need. Pray for the eternal soul. When people are suffering and in difficulty, pray for their endurance. Pray that they might have strength of the inner being. Right? You can pray for their healing, and as and, and good, and you should. But you have no confidence in their healing. And you know that their healing will not preserve them for eternity. If you know someone who is dying for cancer, you can pray they will not die of cancer. And God might grant the fact they won't. But you can assure yourself they will die. Their greatest need is not the, pre the preservation of life. It is the eternal state of their soul. And as you read your Bible, I, I want you to be convicted that sometimes... Our prayers are more reflective of our desires than they are of God's. We should cry out to God with the cares and worries of our hearts. But Christian, what Paul is praying is that your soul would be strengthened so that the cares and worries of your heart, your soul, would be those of God. He's not praying that you would have the strength of soul so that you can accomplish what you will. As we will see next week, he is praying for the strength of your soul so that you can embrace what God has accomplished and that you will live to accomplish his will.